welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 120. My name is Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been playing the Monster Hunter-like game called Wild Hearts, and that is from Curry Tetmo and EA. I've also been checking out Atomic Heart, plus we had a state of play from Sony. We've also had some big news related to E3, with some big players pulling out, plus I've been looking forward to Destiny 2 Lightfall, and that is coming next week. Well, all that and more here today on the show, so it is a busy one, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Yeah, I'm good this week, and it has been a busy week of gaming news with Nintendo confirming they won't be at E3 this year. And previously, it was rumoured, but it was not confirmed, and it looks like we're going to have an E3 without Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo which just begs the question, how is this going to survive for the long term? You know, how are Summer Games Fest and E3 going to coexist? Now, surely they can't. So really, it's going to be an interesting summer of gaming. Well, Destiny 2 Lightfall is only days away now. That's coming out on February the 28th on Tuesday. And Bungie, they've been pumping out information left, right and center. Now, it looks like a lot of changes are on the way with Destiny 2 Lightfall. And today... I'm going to go over some of the quality of life and system updates, which look very, very exciting indeed. Well, Sony, we're back this week with another state of play. This one was a little bit lacklustre, to be honest, although we had been expecting a state of play given the release of PSVR 2. And I haven't got my hands on the PSVR 2 just yet, and I have been burnt in the VR department before in the pandemic when I spent a whole load of money on VR and never really played it. Now, PSVR 2 looks solid, but it's not really screaming an essential purchase, for example, like the PS5 or the Steam Deck once was. Well, before we get into it today, it'd be great if you could leave a review over there on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast more eyes on it. Now, I do have a link in the podcast description or the show notes. So if you like the show and you want to leave a review, I would really, really appreciate it. Plus, I'll read out the review on a future episode of the podcast. Well, that is it for my waffly intro today, so let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been playing a couple of games. So Wild Hearts is a Monster Hunter-like title, and it's really, really good fun. So imagine Fortnite crossed with Monster Hunter, and that is probably a good starting point. I've also been playing the very strange Atomic Heart, which has plenty of Bioshock DNA, albeit feeling a little bit confused, and also fragmented as well. So I'm going to go over both titles today, kicking off right now with my review of Wild Hearts. Wild Hearts is a new Monster Hunter-like game from Koei Tecmo and EA Originals. Now, Capcom, they have been honing that formula for many years with Monster Hunter, you know, with varying levels of competition, and now it looks like they might have a decent competitor on their hands. So while the comparisons to Monster Hunter cannot be avoided, you know, the team-wide Wild Hearts have packed in plenty of innovation, making this a really enjoyable action monster romp. The conversation surrounding Wild Hearts is a tricky one. It's hard to talk about this game and any other game in this very specific genre without talking about Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter has set the scene for many years and it goes back multiple generations of consoles at this point. So there's elements of gameplay and the UI which could be directly lifted from Capcom's entry to the Monster Hunter series. We've also got direct comparisons in huge monster battles where we slowly chip away at these giant beast health bars, chopping off bits and pieces of the monster's body, while you chase down these massive creatures through a semi-open map. 
As well as the gameplay, other mechanics are similar too, with crafting and progression in the game. Plus, you've got eight weapons at your disposal. Yeah, Wild Hearts leans into this comparison to Monster Hunter without really directly referencing it. So fans of the Monster Hunter series are likely to have their heads turned, especially as we're in between major releases at the minute, with Monster Hunter World years old at this point, and Monster Hunter Rise, well, that was optimised for Nintendo Switch, and that went back to its handheld route, but although it did get a release on PC roughly a year after its initial release on the Nintendo Switch. So fans of the Monster Hunter games will be comfortable using the weapons to attack the massive beasts. Plus you've got dodging, that'll help you get out of tight situations, and depending on which weapon you're using, that'll help you in your mobility around the map. You know, Rise introduced the wire bug in the latest Monster Hunter game, and Wild Hearts follows suit with some great mobility options, something that's been lacking from previous titles, meaning there's a really good feeling of speed and agility to Wild Hearts, which serves the game very well. One of Wild Hearts' strengths is the simplification of the game mechanics compared to Monster Hunter. You know, one example of this is weapon sharpening, so for those not familiar, in Monster Hunter, your weapon can get dull during battle, and it means that it does less damage. So then what you have to do during a hunt is you'd have to find some cover and whip out a whetstone and sharpen your weapon. So no need to do that in Wild Hearts, you can simply smash and slash away to your heart's content. So you do have stat-boosting meals and hunt prep. Now that has also been paired back to the minimum, meaning you've got more time out there in battle rather than having to prepare for a large portion of your play session. So while Wild Hearts does simplify some of the mechanics, it's also missing some of the features, such as capturing monsters, which always felt like a more humane way to end a hunt. Now, the byproduct of the simplification means it's easier and quicker to pick up and play, offering less barriers to entry when compared to the Monster Hunter series, which can really only be a good thing. Now, I've spoken to many people about Monster Hunter, and they say it all sounds great, but the complexity and the mechanics really just gets in the way and stops them from playing. The most unique feature of Wild Hearts compared to Monster Hunter is the Karakuri system, which is essentially building little platforms, devices and contraptions to help you out in battle against the monsters. So you can just imagine the pitch at Koei Tecmo and EA Originals. This is basically Monster Hunter crossed with Fortnite. So Fortnite's building system is dynamic and fast, and over the years they've stripped away the complexity, and in some cases the building altogether. But here in Wild Hearts, the Karakuri system allows you to build walls, you can build platforms, you can build little jumps, and you can use structures like fast travel points and also zip lines as well. And it's really quick and easy to build something. It's not cumbersome, it's easy to understand, which is a good trick to pull off given the complexity in the game already. You know, building flows with the combat and it all feels really, really good together, which is really, really important. Yeah, much of the criticism of competitors and the previous Monster Hunter entries has been the speed and adding the building element into the gameplay loop could quite have easily slowed down everything, but this all manages to get everything in the right balance and maintains decent movement speed. Well, Karakuri items and structures are definitely useful in a fight that allow you to close the gap on a monster very quickly, plus the structures stay around the arena throughout the hunt, so you can easily build blocks to jump off, you can build walls to try and keep the monsters away from you, plus you've got torches, they can give you easy fire attacks. So as you progress through the game, you can upgrade your carry curry abilities and open up new structures like bombs or chained combo attacks. You can also equip four Karakuri at the same time, and you've got six in total, leaving the door open for gameplay expansions at a later date. Now, the Karakuri has its own upgrade tree as well. You'll be able to unlock new structures as you progress, plus the upgrades to existing ones 
And the upgrades come in real handy, including dry racks or jars that help increase your stats. Other upgrades include cosmetic items like signs, benches, and other decorative items that you can place around the maps and the play spaces. Well, Karakuri is one method to navigate around a monster at speed. However, it's your weapon that is going to be most effective when you are on the attack. So you've got eight weapons in total, including a katana, a huge greatsword, and also a gun. So these are some of the weapons you're going to be familiar with if you've experienced the monster hunting genre. But Wild Hearts does have some unique weapons, included a bladed umbrella, which is well suited to a melee focused player. You've got the claw blade as well, which is another unique item that allows you to hop and jump around your target and inflict damage at a distance and also close up. So it's similar to a hookshot, allowing you to grapple onto an enemy and attack from all angles. So our tools and items, plus our movement, is all very well and good, but the true stars of the show are the monsters themselves. This is another point of differentiation when it comes to Monster Hunter, whereas in Capcom's titles we do see a lot of dragons and dinosaur-style monsters, here we've got a decent array of animal types. For example, we've got a crow, a wolf, and a big monkey. You know, they're not regular size, of course. They're all really, really large, and they are very, very vicious. So Wild Hearts is all about learning their attack patterns, movements, and their tails. And when you see an opportunity, you go in for that attack. So while there is variety in the monster's visual design, all the battles feel quite similar. So we may have a different color variant or a different element on a monster. For example, electricity or fire or something like that. But once you get to a certain level in the game, the variety seems to come to a standstill. Yeah, I don't want to give Koei Tecmo too much grief for this, as essentially they have reproduced a very exciting game experience here, but there's definitely room to improve when it comes to monster variety. So more weapons and Karakuri variants. You know, as a first go, this is great, but I would like to see some more variation, especially if you're going to pull me away from other established titles where the variety is core to the replayability. Well, talking about replayability, that is where Wild Hearts gets a cross rather than a tick. So the monster variety isn't quite there and the campaign gets stale pretty quickly, making me lean into the co-op nature of the game rather than the single player. So if you've got a big group and you can call upon people regularly, then this is going to be fine. However, if you're a solo player, then you might find your attention waning rather quickly. Now overall, this is a great first go from Koei Tecmo and EA. You know, it is some serious competition to Monster Hunter, and while I don't think it's going to sustain attention for Monster Hunter fans in the long term, it is a decent game to jump into while we're in between Monster Hunter titles. There's some great innovation here with the Karakuri building game mechanics, and the speed of gameplay is very, very impressive. Graphically, it's not really the best game either, so you've got some great detail in the characters and the monsters, plus some decent animations, but the environments, just, they are really, really bad. You know, some of the worst that I've seen on a next generation title. For example, the snow. Oh my goodness me, it looks absolutely awful. It's a decent attempt and it's good to see some competition for Monster Hunter, but I'm not sure this one has the staying power to hook players and draw their attention away from the sequel to Monster Hunter World. Well, that is it for now for Wild Hearts. Pretty good, really enjoyed my time with it. Although I'm not really sure it's got that staying power, but if you like Monster Hunter, I would definitely recommend you check it out. Well, that is it for Wild Hearts for now, but next up, let's go over to the roundup of the Sony State of Play. Well, before we get to this one, just want to say thank you to Logan Plant from IGN 
for providing this good roundup of Sony's state of play. Well, Sony's state of play for February 2023 is a wrap, and Sony had some big reveals related to the PlayStation 5 and the PlayStation VR 2. So the show delivered reveals for a trio of new Street Fighter 6 roster editions, as well as our longest look yet at Rockstar's upcoming Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, so that looked really, really good. Well, let's dive right into that. So we got our biggest look yet at Suicide Squad's Kill the Justice League, which showed off the game's combat, RPG, and live service elements. We saw gameplay of Harley Quinn, King Shark, and Captain Boomerang, and also Deadshot as well, as they romp around the metropolitan levels, destroying all the enemies in sight. Rocksteady also talked about their post-launch support, including a cosmetic battle pass, gear score mechanics, upgradable weapons. Well, next up, we got some more about Street Fighter VI. So Zangief, Lily, and Kami have all been confirmed for Street Fighter VI, and each character got a brief gameplay showcase displaying their unique fighting styles. Kami got the biggest makeover, coming to Street Fighter VI with a new hairstyle and jacket, and Lily joins the cast as a newcomer to the series. Well, next up was Baldur's Gate 3. So we got a lengthy trailer for Baldur's Gate 3, along with a release date of August the 31st. The trailer showed off various classes, shots of the multiplayer and combat, and the game is set for release on the PlayStation 5 and PC. Well, we got another look at Capcom's upcoming Resident Evil 4 remake, which confirmed the presence of Mercenaries mode, which is a classic feature from the original game. The trailer also gave us our first look at a boss fight with Jack Krauser and Leon heading through the minecart section. We also learned a special demo of the game is on the way. Well, Destiny 2's latest expansion, Lightfall, is just days away now from its launch on February the 28th. And to get players ready, Bungie shared the launch trailer for the upcoming expansion. The trailer highlighted the battle between the Guardians of the Witness and Kallus' Shadow Legion of Cabal. We also got a new look at the upcoming Strand subclass. Well, Sony kicked off the show with five new games coming to PSVR 2 sometime in 2023, and the first game shown was The Foglands. A haunted first-person shooter show of combat against skeletons, spiders, and more. We also got a look at a VR survival game called Green Hell, which showed the player creating tents, bows, and other tools to survive in a harsh rainforest environment. Up next was a fast-paced FPS with some telekinesis powers called Synapse, and the game takes place in a black-and-white world with the only colour seemingly coming from your character's powers. Then we saw a sci-fi stealth game based on the iconic Foundation series, by Isaac Asimov, and the game shows shooting and stealthing around a space station, and the last game shown was Before Your Eyes, a colourful interactive adventure about memories where every time you blink, you jump forward in time. Well, the team behind Tetris Effect revealed a new title called Humanity, which shows off a spirit-like dog leading hundreds upon hundreds of humans in lemmings-like fashion. We also saw a creation tool where players can create and share levels with others around the globe, and the game is coming this May on PS5, PS4, PSVR, and PSVR 2. To cheer is the upcoming Wind Waker-like exploration game from Awaseb, and we learned it's launching into PlayStation Plus's Extra and Premium tiers on March the 21st. And definitely really good to see PlayStation putting more stuff into their PlayStation Plus Extra and the Premium tier. We also got a release date for Goodbye Volcano High, the coming-of-age narrative tale coming to PS5 and PS4. The game is going to launch on June the 15th, and the trailer showed off narrative conversations between characters and some rhythm sections as you play through band practice for the main character's band. 
we got Naruto versus Boruto, the Ultimate Ninja Storm connection, and that connects the Ultimate Ninja Storm series and reconnects them into one story. We saw gameplay of the battle between Naruto and Sasuke, as well as tons of other characters from across the series. And we also got a new look at the upcoming action RPG Wayfinder, where you can also work together with friends to push back a hostile force that's taken over the world. Their latest trailer was a gameplay overview showing off combat and a giant boss battle. Well, that is it for Sony State of Play in February, and to be honest, I thought it was a little bit lackluster. But thank you once again to IGN for that roundup. That was really, really good. The PSVR 2 stuff looks really, really disappointing. And of all the reviews I've heard so far, to be honest, just doesn't really sound that great. Although I'd really love to hear from you if you're getting PSVR 2. Let me know on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. Or you can hit me up down there in the comments. Or you can email me on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. Well, that is it for now for the State of Play. But next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. We're at number 10 this week, up 6th place from last week's number 16, it's Splatoon 3. And at number 9, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons, down 4th place from last week's number 5. At number 8, we've got Nintendo Switch Sports, that is holding steady at number 8. At number 7, we've got Grand Theft Auto 5, that is up 4 places from last week's number 11. At number 6, we've got Minecraft, that is up 3 places from last week's number 9. At number 5, we've got Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And that is at one place from last week's number six. At number four, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And that is holding steady at number four. At number three, it's God of War Ragnarok. And that is down one place from last week's number two. At number two, it's FIFA 23. That is at one place from last week's number three. And holding steady there at number one is Hogwarts Legacy. So congrats to the team for Hogwarts Legacy. Looks like that one is selling really, really well. Well, that is it for now for the all-platform charts. But next up, let's check out my review of a new strange game. This one is Atomic Heart. Atomic Heart is the debut game from Mundfish, and it's an impressive mashup of a few genres, which is bursting with ideas, including a first-person shooter, stealth, and also survival horror. The Atomic Heart is an interesting game. It's got a gorgeous exterior and it wears its inspiration of Bioshock on its sleeve for all to see. You play as Agent P3 and his AI glove in a Russian science complex set in an alternate reality. In this reality, Russia has grown very powerful, plus people here are dealing with a robot-slash-zombie uprising, and it's all down to you to fix it. So early on in the game, you work your way through Facility 3826, and Atomic Heart takes on the form of a survival horror game, giving off Bioshock and Half-Life vibes. And before too long, Atomic Heart hops around morphing from survival horror into action first-person shooting, and then into puzzling. So while this genre hopping works most of the time, when it doesn't work, it is quite jarring, and it takes you out of your immersion pretty quickly. For example, combat is smooth, weapons have a good feel to them, and moving your character around the play space feels nice and fluid. You're getting in there up close and personal, dodging in, so dodging and moving, maybe a shotgun to the face and dodging out of lethal range all feels really, really good. You know, much of the combat feels good, however there are various issues. So combat encounters feel too long, with enemies feeling like bullet sponges, and often you can get overwhelmed by enemies and when they can take too many bullets, and then it sort of verges on becoming annoying, 
rather than satisfying. So the sheer amount of enemies can get a little bit too much given the amount of resources that you have. For example, you've got a limited amount of bullets and if you get overwhelmed by loads of enemies, then you're just going to run out of luck. The Power Glove is an interesting concept, though it feels like Atomic Heart doesn't really flex its gameplay muscles here. Now, the amount of glove powers is fairly limited. For example, Shock acts as a jolt of electricity. That could be upgraded to a telekinesis lift ability, which is useful, but not really very innovative. Cryo sounds better than it actually operates, and mass telekinesis, well, that is always impressive. And you can combine these powers a little bit, but they don't really interact intuitively with the environment. Well, the action is there, but there's also stealth elements as well, so enemies appear to be honed in on your presence, so while you can approach situations in a stealthy manner, it's not the easiest way to make progress. You will likely make more progress by simply shooting your way through situations, but as I mentioned before, while that can work sometimes, it also can become a little bit of a slog due to the reasons mentioned previously. So the environment this all takes in is really, really beautiful and well put together. You've got grand Soviet landscapes like science labs, museums and ballet theatres. The set dressing for the game is really, really great to see. So it's stunning in high fidelity and the graphic design is great. It's just a shame that the gameplay that takes place here doesn't really live up to the environment. One issue that presents itself early on is the constant chatter from P3. This issue isn't isolated to Atomic Heart. It was also present in Horizon Forbidden West and, to a certain extent, God of War Ragnarok. When we first start out in Atomic Heart, much of its focus is on survival horror, so the constant chatting by P3 just kind of gets on your nerves. You know, rather than being funny or endearing, the chatter grates. doesn't really add to the experience in a positive way. After hearing P3 exclaim crispy critters for the fourth time in the opening hours, you, know, you just want to shout shut up at the screen. One of the potential great features of the game, the environments and the atmosphere, they are just simply spoiled by all that chatter. So after you trudge through the opening of the game and get out to the research station, you're going to be able to explore the facility 3826. So this is an open world formula where you can decide whether you want to check out the next chapter in the story, or if you want to go hunting for materials and stock up on items from the test sites around the map. Again, the open world itself is quite well crafted, you can explore the research sites or a dense forest and other huge structures. You know, while it looks nice, the open world doesn't really serve a purpose. The story beats are all self-contained, they're mainly underground. The open world is just kind of there. You know, you can explore, but often you hit a blocker. You have to turn back from where you came from, you know, giving you the illusion of a wide open space. But in reality, it's just kind of empty and lifeless. Atomic Heart feels like it started with a whole bunch of ideas, but many of them feel unfinished, or appear to have been abandoned halfway through. So working your way through this survival horror, this action FPS, open well with a hint of puzzles, now it feels like it would serve its audience much better if it focused on one or two ideas, rather than spreading itself very thinly across four or five. So while the game feels messy in places, you know, it does look great. Visually, this is on par with other AAA releases, plus the graphic design and the overall aesthetic of the game feels really, really good. So I played the game on the Xbox Series X and it ran very, very smoothly. Didn't have any issues or bugs or crashes or anything. The audio work is also fantastic, with the atmospheric music and tension building sound effects. Now, I did have the occasional issue with NPCs talking over one another, but to be honest, that was a minor issue in otherwise well-executed audio design for the game. Overall, Atomic Heart is a very mixed-up game. 
You know, there's decent moments, the environments, they are gorgeous, but the overly complicated game mechanics, mixed in with the confusing blend of genres, makes this one quite hard to recommend. You know, given it's on Game Pass, I'd recommend giving it a try. However, I probably wouldn't go out and spend money on this title. Well, the game was developed by Mundfish. It was published by Focus Entertainment and 4 Divinity. It's available for the PlayStation 5, the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, Xbox Series S and X, PC, and also Xbox Cloud Gaming. And it was originally released on the 21st of February, 2023. Well, that is it for my review of Atomic Heart. Bit of a strange game, that one. Although, if you've got Game Pass, I would recommend checking out and playing through at least the first hour, because it does make quite a good first impression. Well, that is it for Atomic Heart, but next up, let's check out the news and here we've got Nintendo skipping E3. Once again, before jumping into this one, thank you to Cat Bailey from IGN for providing this article. Well, after reports that all three major platform holders were skipping E3, Nintendo has confirmed to IGN that it will indeed be missing the event that is currently slated for June. So we approach our involvement in any event on a case-by-case -case basis and are always considering various ways to engage with our fans, Nintendo told IGN in a statement. Since this year's E3 show didn't fit into our plans, we have made the decision to not participate. However, we have been and want to continue to be a strong supporter of the ESA and also E3 as well. Well, IGN previously broke the news that Xbox, Sony and Nintendo wouldn't be formally taking part in E3 in 2023, with Nintendo pulling out due to a lack of major releases to promote. Xbox will be hosting its own event in Los Angeles, but will not be at the LA Convention Center. Now, with E3 roughly three months away, uncertainty continues to hover around the event as publishers weigh up their options. Ubisoft recently announced that it would attend E3 if the event went forward, but otherwise IGN understands that little has changed from a month ago, with few publishers being willing to fully commit to attending. E3 2023 is currently slated for June 13th to June 16th in the Los Angeles Convention Center, and it's unclear whether Nintendo will still hold a Nintendo Direct to match as it has in previous years. We've got more on this from Kat Bailey, and she goes on to say E3's first physical event in four years was supposed to be a triumphant return for the trade show, an opportunity to recapture some of the excitement of past conventions, which historically has been a major showcase of events for the games industry. However, it appears that when E3 2023 hits the LA Convention Center in June, it's going to be without three of its most important draws, and IGN has heard from multiple knowledgeable sources that Xbox, Sony, and Nintendo won't be part of E3 2023 or have a presence on the LA Convention Center show floor. This information comes hot on the heels of Xbox's announcement last week it would be returning to LA for its annual summer showcase while declining to confirm whether it be part of the show itself. So speaking to IGN last week, Xbox CEO Phil Spencer said the platform holder is timing its showcase with E3 at the moment. You know, it's convenient for press and even consumers at the event, meaning it's likely to roughly align with the event itself. Spencer also stressed Xbox's public support for E3 and the ESA. However, IGN understands that Xbox won't have a booth on the show floor. E3 is just, to me, one of the seminal moments of gaming. I love the history of going down to LA, thousands of people there, you know, getting to see great new things, getting to see people in the industry, and the fan events that we've had. I definitely want that to continue, Spencer said. You know, Xbox is on the board of the ESA, and I think a successful and healthy ESA 
is critical to what we are trying to do. So we place our showcase like we've always done at a time where hopefully it's convenient for press and even consumers that are going to the E3 event, and that's what we're trying to do now. We will continue to work with the ESA in terms of their plans. As I said, we're on the board, we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to help make the E3 successful. The Xbox's current plans for the showcase remain unconfirmed, but in previous years it has held a showcase, preview events and press mixes. Internally, Xbox has recently suffered layoffs and other cuts, forcing it to tighten its belt following a year that saw virtually no major releases. Xbox's decision not to have a formal presence on E3's show floor comes as a surprise given its support for the event in the past. Out of the so-called Big 3, it appeared most likely to be at E3, not least because it has several major releases to promote in 2023, including Starfield. So the news has potential to be a big blow for E3, which is attempting to re-establish itself with the help of events company Readpop and peer analyst Piers Harding Rolls told IGN. So he said, Well, the show floor will certainly miss the buzz on the scale of the platform holder stands. So with Microsoft already confirming a summer showcase, Rolls says, it's likely the Xbox buzz will radiate across E3. However, the uncertainty around the other exhibitors may put a dampener on things. So we've spoken about Nintendo already. They have said they're not going to go. But as for Sony, Rolls observed that it's been skipping the big events for several cycles now. now. It doesn't stop it having an online showcase or some sort in the same window. But on the basis of recent history, it wouldn't be a huge surprise to hear it plans to skip E3 2023 as well. Now, all three companies have an effective online showcase strategy which gives them good flexibility to mix and match their promotional activity during, before, or after the traditional big events. Now, according to one knowledgeable source, there have been ongoing frustrations with the ESA over the last three years, who claim they've incredibly mishandled the E3 brand over the last three years, and they corroborated with other IGN sources in saying that several major E3 organisers have departed the ESA leaving a new group to sweep up after them and criticise Repop's handling of the event. Well, the source claims that Repop began contacting publishers in E3 last fall, while promising to book spots in December, but with less than six months to go to E3, the sources say there's a lot of missing information. Well, there's not a good sense that there's an understanding of what this show is going to be or how it's going to come together, which is strange from a company that does an amazing job with packs twice a year, they told IGN. It seems like they'd be the perfect shepherds for something like E3, so who knows where the issue is? Is it an ESA issue? Is it a read pop issue? There seems to be a lot of genuine interest from game publishers about the concept of E3, but it's really, really frustrating that we don't have any good solutions. So with little clarity on whether E3 will represent a good return on investment, and the tech space is more uncertain than ever, you know, many publishers appear to be taking a wait-and-see approach to E3 2023, at least for now. Well, that information flow hasn't been great, and I don't think that anyone wants to be the first one to go out there, IGN source claimed, which corroborates other conversations we've had around the industry. Well, the ESA confirmed last year that E3 2023 would be held from June 13th to 16th, with the 15th and 16th being E3 Gamer Days open to the public. It's been organised in collaboration with Readpop, the company responsible for the Star Wars celebration, New York Comic Con, and also PAX. In events, they've been trying to recover from the hammer blow of the COVID-19 pandemic, which saw major events cancelled across the games industry and beyond. E3 sought to join Gamescom, PAX, and other consumer events returning in 2022, but ultimately it was cancelled. This year, we'll see the event return at last, but with digital showcases 
you know, more prevalent than ever, and the major first parties unlikely to appear, it may be a while before E3 returns to anything approaching its former stature. Well, thank you there to Cat Bailey and IGN for that roundup on E3, and it is looking like a very interesting summer of gaming and the future of E3 as well. Well, earlier on today, we spoke about Sony's state of play, and in that state of play was a launch trailer for Destiny 2 Lightfall. Well, next up, I'm going to go into those quality of life updates coming with Destiny 2 Lightfall and Bungie. Well, they have been on the information offensive recently. They've been pumping out blog posts left, right and centre, videos here, there and everywhere, explaining what Lightfall is. And there's so many changes, it almost looks like Destiny 3. It's really, really exciting stuff. Well, without further ado, next up, let's have a look at Destiny 2 Lightfall and look at all the quality of life updates. With the upcoming launch of Destiny 2 Lightfall on February the 28th, Guardians are going to be thrust into a new adventure that's going to see them prepare for the arrival of the Witness and its disciple Callus. So challenge and thrills await with Lightfall, from brand new enemies such as the formidable Tormentors, to a gripping campaign complete with a legendary difficulty mode for those Guardians looking for the ultimate test of their skill. So we've got brand new enemies as well, including the Tormentors, We've also got the legendary campaign. It's going to be really, really fun for all those Guardians out there looking for the ultimate test of their skill. Well, we got our latest look at Lightfall in that launch trailer last week, and that was during the state of play. That was really, really good fun. But Guardians, they're not going to go into the fight against Callus empty-handed. We've got a new elemental damage type strand. That's going to let players pluck at the threads of the cosmic consciousness and wield the weave to sow destruction and also chaos against the enemies of humanity. There's also going to be a bevy of new weapons and armour to add to your Guardian's arsenal, including new powerful exotics as well as new strand-enabled grapple abilities. It's going to enable Guardian movement options they've never encountered before in Destiny 2. With Lightfall, the team at Bungie's also been hard at work at crafting a host of behind-the-scenes improvements to the gameplay, the armour customization, and more that is not just going to make your life as a Guardian easier, but also more effective in combat as well. Well, today I'm going to take a look at some of the quality of life features that are coming to Destiny 2 Lightfall, and we're going to learn a little bit more about how they evolved in development, and also how Guardians can put them to their best use once they hit the neon streets of Neptune's hidden city of Neomuna. Well, first of all, we have crafting a better Guardian. So Guardians, well, they are built for battle. Between powerful armour and abilities, plus a weapons arsenal can only be described as plentiful, there's a myriad of ways to design and customise a monster-killing machine that suits practically any player's style. But arming yourself is only the first step. Progress far enough into the game, you're going to encounter mods and upgrades that can be added to the weapons and armour which offer new perks and abilities. Those mod effects stack together to create a guardian that is as individual as the person holding the controller. So using mods to craft a great build has been part of Destiny 2 for years, and with Lightfall, the team is looking to make the process of taking your Guardian to the next level easier than ever. So Bungie have done that through some key updates that aim to make build crafting more approachable, without losing the complexity and the depth that Destiny 2 players love. There's a lot to unpack with the updated build crafting system, from the retiring of the old mod energy system to the artifact mods being translated into passive perks, and a whole load more. So there is a recent post on Bungie.net for the nitty gritty details on how mods will change the game in Lightfall, but today we're going to focus on two build crafting features in particular, that is mod customization 
and also the loadouts as well. Well, first of all, we've got the mod customization. So much like appearance customization revolutionized the way players can quickly and easily customize their Guardian's look, the upcoming mod customization feature will let players manage their mod collection with a dedicated interface that puts everything into one mod focus screen. So as Bungie's Rodney Thompson explains, one of the key goals of the build crafting updates was to save time. Well, previously, it took up a lot of players' time to go in and modify a build, said Thompson. And because mods were spread across multiple armor slots, if you change weapons, for example, there's a high likelihood you would actually go in and have to change five different pieces of armor because your mods weren't set up right. Well, with the new mod customization screen, you're going to be able to navigate to an all-in-one screen that shows all your mods and armor pieces at any given time, allowing you to quickly slot in mods without having to click on individual armor slots. In addition, you'll be able to easily access crucial information, such as your current weapons perks and stats, without the need to click back to your character screen. Okay, next up we got loadout, so if you've ever gone from a strike to a Grandmaster Nightfall to an epic raid in a single Destiny 2 session, you know that switching gear is a must for the experienced Guardian. So while third-party apps have traditionally been a huge help with gear switching, the new loadout system coming with Lightfall aims to give players all that convenience without the need to leave the game. So with loadouts you can be able to quickly swap entire sets of gear on the fly, Yes, even gear in your vault, as well as save, label, and visually identify new loadouts as they are created. So you're going to be able to start with six slots to be able to save some loadouts, and you'll be able to earn more as you complete additional Guardian ranks, and we'll go into that more in a little bit. You're also going to be able to swap between loadouts mid-activity, excluding activities where your gear is locked, including Grandmaster Nightfalls. Bungie UI designer Javier Duran Hollis Explain the loadouts and the mod customization systems have been designed for the ease of use, with each just a button press away from the character screen. So when you open your character screen, there's going to be two buttons on either side that you can press with the directional buttons. If you press left, it'll open up the loadouts panel. If you press right on your character screen, then you're going to quickly access all of your different gear mods. By cutting down the number of navigation screens, mod customization and loadouts have been designed to save players time. So the time between when you conceive a build and the time you're playing with it is much shorter, Thompson said. Basically, it means more time shooting aliens in the face. Well, next up, we got up through the ranks. So another pair of new features coming to Lightfall, Guardian ranks and commendations, have been designed with social gameplay in mind. At their core, Guardian ranks are visual shorthand that will let players easily understand the experience and the abilities of other Guardians that they encounter. So players who complete in activities in the game will move up through the Guardian ranks hierarchy as a natural result of playing the game, and some ranks will only be available to those who complete certain activities such as dungeons, nightfalls or raids. Destiny 2's new commendation system will let players compliment fireteam members after an event or an activity has ended. For example, commendations include Joybringer, Selfless and Playmaker, with each used to recognise positive qualities of gameplay and also teamwork. Earning commendations will help you not only access upper echelons of Guardian ranks, it'll also let everyone know that you're a good person to have on their fire team. So Bungie designer Steve Dolan said there's a lofty goal that sits behind features like Guardian ranks and commendations, so motivating the player to be better, not just in terms of skill, but also in terms of being a good person. So the reason why you want a good commendation score is because a lot of the highest ranks are about helping out the community, Dolan said. You can also get a pretty high Guardian rank just by being good at the game, but if you want to get the highest ranks, you have to be good at the game 
and contribute positively to the community. All of a sudden, you've got someone who's like, yeah, I'm rank 9, but I want to help these rank 5s because I want to get some commendations and really boost my score. So it's with a consistent focus on trying new activities, so from seasonal challenges to tried and true modes like Strikes and Nightfalls, the Guardian rank system also serves as a handy tool to let players know what optimal activities are available to them if they're looking to advance. At the start of each season, players will be reset to Guardian rank 6, assuming they've reached that rank during the previous season, and they'll need to progress through the seasonal and higher-end content like Dungeons and Raids to attain rank 7 and also upward. So with these new systems in place, there's a great gradual stepping up in the understanding of the systems of the game, said Thompson. You're going to have all your progression in the narrative and then also add the Guardian ranks progression, where if you do the challenges and then move up through the ranks, you're going to learn the things you need to know as you go. There's a huge improvement over the way we've done it in the past, because we can now say there is progression to follow, and that is a logical next step. Well, we've got an epic new adventure, it's full of challenge, mystery and thrills, and it's all bolstered by a bevy of features designed to make your life as a Guardian not just easier, but more friendly as well. And it's all coming with the launch of Destiny 2 Lightfall on February the 28th. Well, that is a closer look at the quality of life updates coming in Destiny 2 Lightfall, and I don't know about you, my hype levels are through the roof for Destiny 2 Lightfall. I'm really, really excited about it and can't wait to get my hands on it, and hopefully I'll be dishing out my commendations to you, the This Week in Video Games community, when I meet you in the game. Well, that is it for now for Destiny 2 Lightfall, but next up, let's have a look at the games we've got coming in the next few weeks. Well, first up, on February the 28th, it's the one we've just been talking about. It's Destiny 2 Lightfall. It's coming to PS5, Xbox Series S next, PS4, Xbox One, and also PC. We've got Dungeons of Ether, that's coming to PC. We've got Scars Above, that's PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. And those games are also on February the 28th. Then on the 1st of March, we've got Leap, that is PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Then on the 3rd of March, we've got Wolong, Fallen Dynasty, PS5, Xbox Series SX, PS4, Xbox One, PC. That one is also coming to Game Pass. Then, really exciting, on March the 6th, we've got Dead Cells, Return to Castlevania, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Then we've got Outlanders, that's coming on March the 7th. Then on March the 9th, oh, just going back to Outlanders, that one is coming out on the PC. Then on March the 9th, we've got Clash, Artifacts of Chaos. That is PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One and PC. Also on the 9th, we've got Fatal Frame, Mask of the Lunar Eclipse. PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Also on the 9th, we've got Ib, that is coming to Switch. And No By Heart, also coming to Nintendo Switch. And a few more games coming on the 9th, Monster Energy Supercross 6. PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One and PC. We've got Oni, Road to Be the Mightiest Oni. PS5, PS4, Switch, and PC. We've got Session Skate Sim coming to Switch. And then on March the 10th, we've got Before Your Eyes. That's coming to PSVR 2. And then on March the 10th, we've got DC's Justice League Cosmic Chaos. That's coming to PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and also the PC as well. Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show in the future, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games. Or you can get me on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast or by sending in an email podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. 
Well, if you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, you can check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.